Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are across the globe. We are your hosts, Sean Alvari, and yours truly, Shai Jalayer, and you are about to experience the S2 effect. Shai, it's always great to see you, my man. It's always great um, to talk soccer, and what a great day. I mean, Messi, after how many years has it been that he's put out the thing of leaving? You can say supposedly because there, Ronald Koeman came out saying Luis Suarez is not going to be in the plans. That's Messi's best friend. It could be his relationship with the board. But this is juicy stuff nonetheless. First of all, it's always a pleasure to uh, see you as well, my uh, fine-looking uh, band boy, good looks uh, host. You are the man. Um, let me just add that the other juicy rumor is that Messi was somewhat turned off by Ronald Koeman's comment that there will be no free rides here anymore at Barcelona and that uh, Messi's going to have to defer everything towards the team. And so, uh, obviously, um, Messi wasn't having that. So, some crazy stuff. Uh, I think that uh, now the question is, how, how is this transfer even going to be possible with a $700 million uh, uh, cost to, to get him out? It's just a lot of uh, moving parts. I mean, Shai, before we get into the, the messy aspect of it, what's your take on the Ronald Koeman, the Louis Van Gaal, the certain coaches, and even, um, I forgot the other name. Who was the Italian that coached at Juventus? Coached Capello. Capello. They're, it's their way or the highway. They're coming in, and they're going to set their rules in there. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, Sean, I think uh, – I think – there are some coaches who feel like that um, they have to earn the respect immediately of the locker room. Um, you know, I think you're starting to see less and less of these coaches, uh, the authoritarian. I think you're starting to see more of the collaborative uh, coaching style come in. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, uh, Ronald Koeman has a, great track record both as a you know former footballer a high level footballer um, played for Barcelona um, and he was a hard man in the game and I don't think you uh, change your personality when you become a coach right I think it's it's part of who he is um, do I agree that's the best way to handle the modern player I think that's up for debate um, but clearly that's not the best way to handle Lionel Messi, right? Look, there's only one real Lionel Messi. There's only one Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, when is the last time those kind of players with this much years under their belt, they've been performing at the highest level? I don't care what you've done as a coach. You have a player like that. I mean, that player is bigger than a lot of coaches and doesn't matter how big because a coach cannot run on the field, cannot change the game. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson, that was so great. Messi and that crew took it to him like he'd never been taken to him. I think it was the year of 2008 or 2009, that one year. Players changed the game. 
And especially, I think there's only two players that Real Madrid made a mistake of letting go. And, I mean, Alex Ferguson couldn't do anything because uh, Ronaldo wanted to go to um, Madrid. But Barcelona's doing the same thing. I mean, literally, these two players, you ride them out and squeeze every juice that you have. And, you know, I get it. You want to set up a great positive environment. But, I mean, these are, this is like a generation, decade player. I mean, you're not, you're not going to get a player like that. So as a coach, I always say sometimes um, taking the mature aspect and understanding and taking a step back and saying, this is an exceptional player. This is something above. And maybe my, my stamp is not yet. Write him out for a couple of years, maximize that, slowly implement it as they transition now come in with that. But I try to see how I can use a Messi. And I think Guardiola did it uh, fairly well um, to write it. And, you know, that's why I think Klopp and Guardiola are successful in the modern game as well. They try to utilize those certain players they have. I I would add that I think uh, another one who's uh, come into the game and showed a level of uh, the word to use maturity, but I also think it's it's diplomacy and, and player understanding is Zinedine Zidane. Mm. Uh, and the way he's been yes. able to, to uh, kind of massage his players' egos to get what's best for the team, how he handled Cristiano Ronaldo, even in the press. Uh, you know, uh, so I think that is the, the trend of the future. Ancelotti is another one who's known to kind of uh, massage his players. So I think there's, there's a, a trend that's moving towards uh, more of a collaborative style of coaching, working with the players, because I think they understand, just as you put it, you know, um, if you want your team to perform, there has to be a sense of cohesion, there has to be a sense of harmony. And there's really no sense in rocking the boat right off the bat. Even kind of uh, circling back to Komen, uh, I saw an interview with, uh, with, that he did, Sean, that he basically said, you know, you know, Messi's great, Suarez is great, but 33, 32, he's like, at some point, he's like, yeah, they're great players, but at some point we have to move on. I understand that, I get that, I think everybody understands the reality of that, but I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's choosing to use honey or to use vinegar. Uh, to get your message across. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of like, like I said, those two players, the CR7 and Messi, there's a, the, I mean, just go on their, you know, resume. I mean, I get it, 32, 33, but these are not average 32, 33. They're not even, they're not even elite 32, 33. They're the elite of the elite. And, they're above that. They're that tip of the arrow, man. They are it. They are the definition. And they're, they're so driven. They're so motivated. And you can't coach that. You can't coach that. They are so driven, disciplined. Their diets, their amount of partying, they do whatever it is. You're not going to get those handed to you in today's game. With so much social media, I mean, Messi and Ronaldo are so disciplined with so much access to social media today to not get distracted on what their purpose is, and they are motivated by each other. So 
Yeah, I think there, like you said, it, there's so many ways you can go that, and that's the art of a coach. Not so much maybe the X's and O's, but the way you communicate, your management skills. Um, some coaches that know how to put that beautiful smile on their face, and the players will do anything and run through a wall for them. That's a that's an art within itself. Uh, my thing is now, where do you think he's gonna go? What's a good landing spot for him? You know. Um, I would, <laughs> I put a picture recently, uh, him and uh, Ronaldo matched up in Juventus. That'll be, that'll be interesting, but not as realistic, but obviously the Man City is one of the most realistic ones right now because of the coach that's there and Guardiola. But where do you see uh, him being a fit in? Yeah, I think, uh, again, you gotta, you gotta take the, the financial stability uh, and, uh, financial ability of a club. Uh, I'd love him to see, uh, I'd love to see him at Arsenal as an Arsenal fan, but you know, obviously that'll never happen. But um, I think everybody is assuming, uh, again, the rumors are flying all over the place that it's Man City. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's under, you know, he does have an exit clause in his contract. Um, and if they're trying to buy him out of the contract, it'll cost $700 million. Uh, to date, the most expensive uh, buyout has been Neymar, uh, when PSG paid $222 million to get him from Barcelona. So you can see the exponential difference already. Um, the president has come out and basically said that uh, it would be disgraceful if we let him leave uh, without $700 million, it would be more disgraceful than the 8-2 result. So again, um, and, and then he threw one more dagger. He said, he's ours till 2021 and 34 years old. So again, he's, he's kind of, uh, he's like, I love Lionel Messi, but I love Barcelona more. So the lines in the sand have been drawn. Um, I would say that uh, Man City is the most likely spot, but I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to play out. You know what, where I wouldn't be shocked at too, but I mean, it will be the most interesting one because Zinedine Zidane's at Real Madrid, and you know where I'm going with this. If you really are upset with how you got treated, nothing's, nothing's better than going to Real Madrid and turning that up, but the heat you're going to probably take in Spain. Uh, I don't know if he wants it, but it does from the neutral fan aspect, create a very great storyline and the upcoming season should be, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Messi's a little too uh, aware of the, the people that have supported him and he, what it's worth, he loves Barcelona. This is, this is just uh, the end of a chapter, and I think that uh, you know this is all being pushed because he doesn't see uh, Barcelona moving with the times, and um, you know he he wants to keep his legacy intact. Um, I'm kind of excited. I do think it will. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think uh, with Messi moving and now Cristiano Ronaldo 
uh, have already left La Liga. I think you'll start to see a shift now once again uh, to whatever league that these players will be playing in. And um, unfortunately, I think La Liga will become an afterthought for, for several years until these two guys uh, leave the game. I agree. I mean, the thing that I want to kind of uh, go into now is kind of like as coaches, as observing the game um, from the outside in, you know, now we're talking about financial who can support them, system-wise who fits in, coach who is a coach for him. That is like, okay, Messi's like looking at that. What's going to be the thing? You know, where am I going to walk into? Literally, uh, as an expression, who's going to give me the 10 jersey? I'm the 10. I'm that. The coach that's going to give me the ropes. And, I mean, do you, do you say Messi's in? And then now we build around him. Or this is the team. Messi uh, complements it here. There's so many aspects we can go. I personally would say clean house, Messi, build around him. I maximize for two years, market it the heck out of it because this is going to be huge for anywhere he goes. If he goes to EPL, never played in EPL. Um, EPL, just the reason Man City is not even Guardiola. Who's the owners? Who's the owners? Where is the fine? I mean, you can say like they can afford him. And now the players that are there, even if you have to cut a couple to compliment Messi, there's a great source of ingredients that complement him pretty well. And you would probably have to get in the middle some strong defensive players because Messi's not going to track back. Um, he's going to want the ball to his feet. He wants it, certain things to create. So you create that. I mean, and no one, you can say, knows him best than Guardiola. I even think Liverpool club would uh, be great for him too as a coach. Um, I know as an Arsenal fan, you wouldn't want the rich getting richer in that sense, because I mean, if Liverpool gets that and tries to complement it with that, would Klopp as a coach try to do it? It'll be interesting because Klopp is, uh, I think people can have his debate on X's and O's, how great he is or not, or however you want to debate that. But as a player management, I mean, I mean, he did, he, he's, he's been fantastic with players. Players love him. So um, I don't know if that's the next step. Yeah. I, um, uh... I think that uh, your point about uh, Messi coming into, let's just say, Man City, and the question is, um, do you build a team for him, or is the team already built and he's just a perfect complement? I think, uh, you know, again, I think Messi is a professional in the sense that he understands what's going on uh, within the game and within his own body. I think he wants to be personally, uh, this, is, this is just my intuition, um, that I think Messi wants to be in a place where he's not going to be dependent day in and day out and play a full 90 day in and day out. Uh, I think that's part of the issue. I think he, he can see that in his uh, last few years of playing that he may be more effective, uh, you know, being used incrementally. And I don't mean not starting every game, but maybe some games that are some throwaway games, he doesn't need to play. And I think uh, uh, 
and any team that's in the Premier League that's going to be involved in Champions League with the amount of games that they play, you're going to have to go through that process. So for me, I think Man City is a great place because there's already some really good players, obviously world-class players in place, where Messi won't maybe feel the burden to, to take you know, every game on his back. And I think, um, I think he's smart enough to understand that. So uh, although I, I, I see your point of, yay, let's build a team, let's just throw things out. And there could be a financial process too. They may need to unload players to afford him. But, um, you know, does he reduce his wages to kind of fit, to fit in? You know, I don't know. But um, I think his main goal is, is cementing a legacy. I think he wants more Champions Leagues, uh, opportunities to win the Champions League. Um, so I think that's, that's his goal. Why do you think he wants to win more Champions League? Why do you think? <laughs> I, I think there's an initial CR7 both ways. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, they're, they're, it's great for us to see when you have two people that are so competitive that are, bound. I don't think, I don't think I've seen anyone, two, two players, this competitive in any sports during the same time. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if you've seen anyone both this competitive, forcing each other to get elevating their games and playing at the same time, not too different in ages, maybe one or two years that Ronaldo's older, uh, but you know, they're trying to go and they're staying in the game longer because they're like, hey, I'm not going to pull out until you pull out. You pull out, I want to get another year before you... Like, I haven't seen this in any other sport. I've seen it. We've been always trying to go back if it's in basketball, Kobe, LeBron, LeBron, Michael, but they are significantly gaps in ages. Like, it's eras more than uh, at the same, you know, decade. This one is so unique that arguably, and even Kobe, LeBron, I mean, as much as they're great, they might go top five. I mean, LeBron might be top two in, in those sense. These are literally one and two. One and two, I think a lot of people will make the argument if one's number one, or actually a lot of people will say this, one's 1A, one one's 1B, one because everybody, every time they'll fin flip it, because both of them are, in their eyes, number one of all time. And it's hard to argue that because the amount of years they're doing it and their stats is insane. But yeah, so what I got, what we got set up, I mean, um, Champions League, you know, we got the Champions League final, Bayern Munich, PSG. On paper, so many superstars. Um, you know, you had, uh, I think it goes down as one of the best finals I've seen to date personally. So, because you can break it down in so many things, so many ways. Tactically, it was both teams had their plan and it was executed pretty well. I mean, both of them were going back and forth you can say moments that changed the game, but it was defensively strong. Um, I even thought attacking-wise, it was strong. I just thought the, both teams did a great job defensively, and some moments it just didn't go in. Goalkeeper comes in strong. Post comes in strong, you can say. Um, but um, overall, I thought it was a very, very, very good uh, final, especially with the circumstances of 2022 especially of the circumstances in 2022, what these players are coming back from, 
from being on a basically on their own during this whole pandemic, the fitnesses they have to create, the, the bodies that they have to tolerate to perform at the highest. So yeah, let's dive in. Let's break it down. Let's see um, what we got in store for it. Yeah. So Sean, we're spot on. I mean, there's so many uh, great points that you made just in that little introduction about the game. Um, you know, what I was getting a, a chuckle out of is I think so many people thought this was going to be a bit of a wide open game and that um, nobody was going to defend. And, and I got a kind of a chuckle. I mean, a couple different uh, coaching groups uh, that, you know, uh, you know, talking scores of four, three and, and, and this and that. And I think, you know, as a, you know, as a neutral, if you're just looking for that kind of game, that's great. We all want to see goals. What I was, what I was pleased with was I saw a complete game, meaning I saw teams that were very attentive to all the moments and all the phases of the game, right? Attack, defend, and both transitions, set pieces. So, you know, again, from somebody who, who always kind of watches a game, obviously to enjoy it, but also from an analytical standpoint, it was just a, it was just a, an awesome game, really an awesome game. And it's, yeah, you can look back and say, wow, it's one, it was one nil and you know, where are the goals, but plenty of, plenty of drama, plenty of opportunities, plenty of talking points. Uh, you are spot on. It was a great game and full of superstars, right? I mean, what else do you want? I mean, um, best players on the stage. So it, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, even Tuchel that's done what he's done in Germany for in Dortmund and now coming to PSG. I don't think a lot of people talked about what the Bayern Munich coach did because the year before, they were sitting in seventh. And this year, uh, being in the run of winning all their trophies that are applied in front of them, I mean, Talk about flipping, flipping a year around. So, I mean, Bayern Munich had an amazing year. I know with the circumstances. And for me, the Ballon d'Or winner should be Lebanowski. Lebengolski. Lebengolski. Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think I disagree with that. And I even heard the press saying that it's that they declined the petition FIFA to, to allow the, the Ballon d'Or to go on because it, you know, rightly, I think he's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's not, you know, there's so many different things that I, I think I want to talk about today, but um, I don't think Bayern gets enough credit for the, the individual quality they have. Everything, I get it because they're such an efficient team that everything is about the team. And that, that's somewhat of the Bayern DNA. But man, they have some great players and they have some players that aesthetically are great. So it's not just that they score goals or they defend well. They play an attractive game as well. And that, I just think that narrative uh, needs to change because I think if the narrative changes a bit, you might get more attention to the Bundesliga and, and what they have to offer in terms of uh, not only in terms of quality games and quality matches, but as observers and coaches, uh, there's a lot to learn there. And, and shy. I mean, 
it kind of reminded me of Barcelona, 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 <laughs> Barcelona, um, Xavi Iniesta, you know, Xavi Iniesta, how great are they? But I'm talking from the outside. If you're not a, maybe a football purist or something like that, oh, that team is all messy, it's all this. But Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, how great is Busquets and the roles they play. For me, what, what I'm trying to get with this is Thiago for Bayern Munich. I was a fan when I was just watching the game. So smooth in that 6-8 role that he played for Bayern Munich. Kimmich, how great is Kimmich? The Canadian that played in the MLS, Alfonso Davis. I mean, how old is he? 19 years old to at that stage? I mean, if you want to be critical, made some couple mistakes on the fouls and the discipline, but for 19, astonishing performance. Astonishing performance. Alaba that used to be an outside back is a center back. You know, there's so many layers to this and the professionalism they had to have to go into those roles. I mean, I don't know if it's the German way. I mean, maybe it is the coaching style or what they do to them. But to put your egos aside and get into roles to make the team efficient should highlight the power of the individuals that are on that. If a team goes and performs like that, should even be a bigger testament to the individuals they are and the professionals they are. Um, and I want to kind of segue into getting into, our, getting into the first half, Shai. I want to get into the first half and starting and getting into moments that you feel that was valuable to kind of um, put into a spotlight too. Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, what's, what's interesting is that uh, you're, you're looking at teams that have a definite DNA. They have a definite idea of how they want to play. Um, you know, and, and what happens and what gets highlighted is if you don't have a plan B or a plan C, how, how things can, can become a struggle. And I think, you know, again, uh, PSG is obviously a great team. And, um, and, you know, even within this game, they had moments where they could have, could have uh, changed the game a little bit if Neuer isn't standing on his head, right? I mean, he's, he's obviously an individual that makes a, a huge difference. But what's amazing is how teams still try to, I think, deliberately play out of the back and, um, you know, and not learn from the mistakes of maybe previous teams uh, and still try to play. And that's, again, that's kind of a testament to being in a, a style that, okay, this is who we are. But I think there has to be a level of adaptation. And I think what you saw was a great chess match. I mean, um, you know, PSG is trying to build out from goal kicks. Um, and, you know, they have a Great player in uh, Silva, who's good on top of the ball, um, who's able to handle pressure. But the chess match is now Bayern responding by playing two narrow uh, wingers who, who pressure right off the, the goal kick and then having the ability to also outside backs in their cover shadow. And now somewhat forces PSG to change their style because 
Uh, now, Navas isn't great with his feet, uh, and now has to go long, and that kind of plays the, the German outfit, right? I mean, they're able to do those first balls, the physical challenges, the second balls, um, and, th and that's what I'm talking about, is having this plan, plan B to kind of fall back on. Uh, and I think that's where you see Bayern and a lot of these other successful uh, programs, they're able to flow in, in and out of different um, ideas. You know, they stay true to certain principles of play within their game model, but they are also, they have a tactical acumen that allows them to make adjustments. And I think this was a game of one team being able to adjust or adapt or flow into different ideas and be proactive in doing so. And another team that had the change based on being reactive to a situation. Specifically, what are the moments you're talking about? If it's playing out of the back uh, or the plan B, what are the moments, if we can get into specifics of, uh, is there specifics of the players, a moment in the game? Uh, was it the start of the game that kind of, at one moment, PSG had something good going in? Was it their center back? Because for me, one of the, one of the key moments, I thought PSG, uh, I mean, Bayern Munich started out well, and then PSG started to take it and wanted to take over. There was a Di Maria moment that he kicks the ball over. There was a moment Neymar shot and saved by Neuer. And I think even the Di Maria that kicked it over, when you have your head up and you see a Neuer's in the goal, you're trying to get fancy and try to put it some way in, that kind of throws that away. Because those two goals changed the dynamic. Changed the dynamic. You, you know, what's interesting is, uh, and you even hear the commentary is, sometimes uh, we play the inverted wingers, meaning we put the, the left footer on the right and the right footer on the left because we want their movements to be incisive and, and towards goals because we want them to be uh, strikers versus the traditional wingers. And I think in the case of Di Maria, you know, you wonder if, okay, if he's out on the left side and he's able to bring that ball, um, you know, in on his left foot, uh, I think the, the, the opportunity he had actually presented itself on his right foot. Am I correct if I'm remembering that right? It was on his right. Yeah, and I think if he's positioned in a different way, uh, you know, where he's – He's bringing that into his left foot. And that, that's also the case of every team. And, you know, and this is football, right? Um, it's always going to be the case, especially against the Bayerns of the world, the teams that can, can find rhythm quickly, right? If you don't take chances, um, you're going to be behind the eight ball as this game wears on because you just know – that a team like Bayern is going to find their footing. They're going to get organizationally, they're going to get better. Um, I think they didn't take advantage of maybe, uh, you know, Alfonso Davies was struggling a little bit in that first half. Um, and I think some adjustments were made to finally bring him into the game, mostly in the second half. But 
you know, even the moments that you're talking about, um, you know, there, it's not a consistent level of pressure that's being sustained. And I think that's what allows Bayern to, to gain their footing. Um, you know, not enough credit is given to Flick for his ability to, you know, even if it's the Komen start, right? Komen starts this game. And people were up in arms about, uh, and I don't know if you can help me out, but I don't remember who started the last game. I, I believe it, it was Perisic. Yeah. I, I, I think it was Perisic. That's, you're 100% correct. And so people are going, okay, why, why come? And, you know, and again, uh, he, he gets it right, right? You know, Komen comes in and he, he makes uh, where's the goal. Where's the goal? Uh, so not enough credit given to uh, Flick in terms of his, his tactical uh, understanding and, and decision-making. Um, you know, even with the press, uh, you know, the ability to have Nabry and Komen press from outside in and take away uh, the long diagonal options of Benat and Kira, right? So not only are they pressing Silva and Kempepe, but um, they're also putting their outside backs in their cover shadow so that they can't play those balls. And then, you know, the counter tactic is then, okay, well, let's drop Marquinhos back into that Lavalpe shape so that he can get onto the ball. Well, normally an attacking midfielder would be tracking that. And what they did was they actually dropped Lewandowski that kind of put him in his shadow. So what that allows is now Muller to kind of maraud underneath and start covering the ground. And again, that's playing into his strengths, right? He's, he's an engine, right? He just, he's all about his energy. And so, uh, again, I think these are just tactical adjustments that you have to say that Flick, Flick got right. Yeah, and, and let's, let's touch on to that. So you're basically, you know, PSG, their goal has been play Silva and Kempe out of the back. I mean, that's, that's the way they like to play. Obviously, Byron's a, a complete opposite where they like to press them. And, you know, you had Nabry uh, do a good job in trying to close it in with Komen. Um, my thing is, you know, you see this now a lot. I mean, I don't know if maybe I wasn't looking for it, but I wasn't seeing it before the 2008 era, meaning 2008 to 2012. Let's just talk about Barcelona, the building out of the back. And I'm going to go into a specific moment. Iniesta scores a goal against Goose Hiddings, Chelsea. Basically, you see before Iniesta's shot, Guardiola is giving a hug to Goose Hiddings. Thank you. Good. I think I lost this game. Iniesta scores that goal. and. The, the, the rest is history, sends Barcelona through, Barcelona wins it, and it starts that era. And that era changed a lot of the building out of the back. My thing is now, building out of the back, I get the purpose of opening space, overloading on certain sections of the field to find that switch. Knowing Bayern Munich now is going to press you. This is my thing as on being in Tuchel's shoes, let's just say you are PSG's coach, knowing the whole time Byron has been playing is press you, especially the first half. And you love using Silva and 
Kempe, and that's your area. But if you're knowing you're getting pressed, maybe the thing is, who's your seven? Who's your 11? Who's your nine? Who's your 10? You throw a lot of those into it to mix it up. And now you try to implement. And I know they were starting to do that. I'm just saying from the beginning of it, because, um, I mean, that's, I, that was Barcelona. That's, and I get it. Guardiola was saying this about Barcelona. In their whole academy system, going down 7-0, 10-0, they're still going to build out of the back. The, the Barcelona way, that's the schooling of it. No matter what, hey, Joan Cruyff said it. If they score three goals, what's the goal? Score four. If they score five, score six. Don't be concerned about denying, but we still play out of the back. My struggle with that is if they're pressing you there, there's spaces on the field open on the back area uh, that they can expose. What I try to throw your way is if you're the coach shy for PSG, knowing what you just talked about right now, how would you, how would you go for, let's just say, first 20 minutes of your game plan? Yeah, I think, again, um, the important thing is to understand uh, your game model and the principles in which you, you want to play, play it. Uh, a coach's duty is to try and stay within the game model as much as possible, but also offer tactical solutions to, to his team. Um, you know, I think one of the concerns is do you also have the players that can give you that option? So for example, you know, if the option is to play a little vertical and more direct, can Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria hold balls in, right? And so maybe the coach is looking at it like, look, that that can't be the solution. You can't start launching balls, you know, uh, directly um, into Di Maria, Neymar, and Mbappe. But he, here's the thing: maybe you set the team up in such a way that okay, we're gonna almost give up first balls and let's win second balls. And I think that's a more viable option. So, you know. One of the questions I had was um, the selection of Herrera for, for PSG. Um, obviously a great player, but in, in terms of, I would say, um, busyness with variety, variety, excuse me, have been a better choice. Even in second balls, because he's a little bit quicker, he's a little bit sharper. Uh, and not only that, Maybe in the buildup, if you stick to building out of the back, variety, and my, I'm struggling with that name, um, has a, I think is, is better in tighter situations. I think you're going to be able to play him with, with someone on his back, and he's going to have the individual solutions to get out of that. So... Um, you know, maybe it's player personnel. It's not just a tactical change in the sense of, hey, let's not play out of the back, let's go long. Maybe it's, 
even the players on the field might need to be adjusted. And so um, that's, that's one of the adjustments I probably would have made. No, and, and you know, that is valuable. Um, my, my flip on that is I think Herrera um, had a moment where he took a volley off a corner kick and it goes barely wide and it would have been a clinical finish. And I think in my humble opinion, I think Tuchel was trying to get more of that attacking, trying to get that goal in. I think Verratti, fantastic. He's a busy person that six. He is that six in that pocket. And you have a great point. Does, do you need a Herrera when you have the Neymar, the Mbappes, the Di Maria's already pushing? So you need someone to be that backbone and glue in that kind of game to uh, win the middle, you know? And I think that's the whole debate on uh, Komen. Komen, it worked, putting him in over Perichik. But could you have got more goals if, like the previous games, Perichik is in and he's going in and Alfonso Davis is doing Komen's job on the outside? Because, yes, Bayern Munich got it right. I even think they would have got more goals because uh, what Alfonso Davis was doing in the form that they were. But you never know. In the end, they got that result that uh, mainly counted. My thing is, PSG was getting their, their attacks from the wide, too. I mean, they were trying to create their chances from the wide. Is Was there a game plan you think that, let's just say, 2020 pandemic is going on okay that we don't see some of the stuff behind the scenes um fitness you know uh certain players that you would say hey we can play this style because they're in form they're in top shape they're in that elite form did that play a key role you know I, I would have to say maybe, you know, it, it, when you're watching the game, you're like, wow, this game looks good. But I personally don't feel Neymar looked in the best Neymar form that he did. There was moments that you're like, man, he, Neymar can get by that. And even Mbappe, it was just like a step, like they usually push by by that speed. It wasn't there. So um, I think as PSG's built around, uh, I don't want to say mainly those two players. They have great players too. But those two players didn't have, I think, that little hump to get it over the buyer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong on, on that. If No, I think you're 100% correct. Uh, yeah, Neymar seemed a bit uh, a shadow of himself. Um, I think the endeavor was there. I, I, I clearly see, saw a player who was trying to make an impact. Um, but I think it's also indicative of uh, who Bayern is, right? I mean, and, uh, and I don't, I'm a neutral. I think it's got to be important to say that you know, I'm not a, a Bayern supporter 100% or a PSG supporter. Um, but I think. We have to give credit where credit's to Bayern. Just, I think, forces a, a lot of these situations. You know, you made a great point. I think statistically, most of PSG's buildup came along wide areas. Uh, 
know, I think one statistic I read was 40% on the left side, 34% on the right, and only 26 down the middle. Uh, what makes that important is, is that, it, yeah, it's important to have wide play, but at the end of the day, it's central penetration where you get your goals. Uh, and the guy who's playing centrally is Neymar. And so for only 20%, 26% of uh, the play to be in that area tells me that uh, Bayern starved PSG service into those areas uh, and, and almost dictated play into wide areas. Um, so uh, there's no question though, circling back to your point, you know, the pandemic uh, clearly had some effect on some players, but not as much on the Bayern players, right? <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, you look at Bayern and you're wondering, how, well, how are they doing it coming out of the pandemic? And they just, like, they're just able to drive and push and, and grind. And is it, is it the, I hate to say it, uh, the coin, but is it the German mentality or you've said, is it the German way? Maybe, I don't know. Um, but again, it's a testament to those players. Yeah. And I might be wrong, but German league might've got it started earlier than the other leagues, you know, right. it's yeah. just such a unique dynamic because who started their league earlier? Um, what were they doing during the pandemic? Did every organization on their checkup, some organizations, maybe like you're on your own, some they were on a daily Zoom. What was the uh, curriculum? What was the uh, program set up during the pandemic? Because I agree with you. Bayern look like they're in season shape. They looked better. Like the whole thing of Cristiano Ronaldo came back better than he was out. The, the greatest picture, I don't know if you saw Grotsky's picture before and after. Did you see Grotsky's picture before and after? It's like he was like a twig and then he came back like um, roided up. But, <laughs> but like, you know, I, it's a testament to the players of the professionals behind, but also the whole program as an organization. Byron is a juggernaut. Doesn't mean PSG isn't, but they have more championships, they're more seasoned, there's more history behind it. Um, the people behind the scenes of board, I think there's a reason the German league got to what they did, the whole federation of Germany uh, and the protocols they set to go forward, the leadership behind them. I mean, we are, we're in the United States and I think a lot of coaches in California and everything are struggling with leadership to get things going where they were getting it. And you look at that final, they came, ready for plan a plan b plan c plan d um you know and th that was that was that was a testament to them yeah. and 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 shy like now that if we segue even on the attack versus psg's defense byron was playing out of the back too you know it's funny it was both teams are building out of the back my thing is um on the goal kicks, on why uh, not they have Neuer right, you know, they, there was moments that they created to go out of that. And if you had to get critical and get, like, specific on that moment, what are the moments you want to highlight in 
um, Bayern's form of attacking on PSG. Yeah, you know, that's that's the other thing that I think uh, going back to the narrative about Bayern uh, doesn't play maybe attractive football. Um, you know, uh, Bayern is a, a team that has a lot of good individual players and you start with the goalkeeper, okay? Um, you know, how impressive must it be that we all know Neuer is good with his feet, but you still have Neymar, uh, Mbappe, and Di Maria barreling down on you. And so it shows not only his technical ability, um, his psychological strength, the handle to be able to look down the barrel and see Neymar coming out of him, but he's also got the intelligence to make appropriate decisions. Um, you know, it's not every time, you play it back to me, it's not every time, uh, you know, play short, you know. He has the ability to also spray balls left and right. And, uh, you know, I think the tactical setup on the goal kicks uh, with Davies and uh, Kimmich uh, playing uh, higher and pinning players back uh, and allowing uh, Alcantara and Goretzka to kind of form this little rondo box around Neymar, uh, they were able to skip and play uh, around Neymar relatively easy. Um, and so what happens now is uh, the three in the mid, it was uh, Marquinhos, Perez, and Herrera. Uh, we're now having to make some some tactical decisions. First of all, they had to do a lot of horizontal coverage because if the ball was played out wide to Davies or uh, um, Kimmich and Di Maria or Mbappe are caught in the press high, well now it's the midfield's role to kind of get out wide. Um, if the ball was played central, now you have Nabry and Komen getting narrow and playing behind them with Mueller. So there was a lot of tactical uh, wrinkles and nuances that Bayern threw at uh, that PSG. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, at that point, PSG is only hoping, I think, at this point, is to kind of catch them on a counter. Uh, and I think there was a couple times where uh, that opportunity did did jump out in the second half. But at this point, you start to see Bayern really take hold of the game. Uh, you know, Thiago Alcantara, again, he starts to build in the game. And once he's, he's starting to, to feel it, you know, he's dropping dimes left and right. You know, he's spraying balls. And, um, and then it, it's pretty- How vital was he for them? How vital was he for them? I think he's, uh, I don't, I don't want to use the word underrated because I don't know that people underrate him, but I don't think he gets enough uh, credit for credit. how good he really is. Um, and in my opinion, he could be uh, one of the best two-way players in the game right now. Yeah. I mean, his demeanor shy is such a strong demeanor. He carries a, a superstar demeanor. 
He carries a superstar. His composure. I even it's funny you talked about Neuer. If Neuer slipped, and I've seen him slip and make mistakes, they don't get rattled. There's some coach uh, keepers like if we go back in date, the, the Real Madrid versus Liverpool. I forget the name of that keeper. Um, do you know the name? Before Allison, he played in the final. Or which team again? Liverpool. Uh, was it the Spaniard that played for Liverpool? No, it was before Alex. He's the one that coughed up the two, two goals in the oh, final. All right. Um, e- either way, you can see he gets rattled in a moment. Make mistakes. I guarantee Neuer makes that mistake. He's not rattled. He's still going to go through it. And like I said, people can say, is it German mentality? Do Germans produce maybe if they're not the um, craziest Brazilian flavor thing? But their mentality from the neck up is ruthless, focused, disciplined. And seeing that play, you know, does that style, even if you're not German, you go in that environment, does it have an impact on you where you see the composure in Tiago? You know, as great as I, I, I've always thought of Nabry, I think he found a home. I, I know you're an Arsenal fan. He went from Arsenal to Bayern. I mean, this Nabry wasn't like this for Arsenal when he played. Actually, I think he went to West Brom and couldn't get a game for West Brom. And then he went to Bayern, and now he found a play. And, you know, like that's a testament to, you know, Bayern Munich's environment of, you know, being able to find places for that. And, I, and even the success rate, you, t- you touched based on what Thiago was doing, spraying balls to Kimmich and and Nabry was vital. I even thought at one point they didn't use Nabry enough. There was moments that he, uh, they were playing it over the top and Nabry was just an inch off. It was a little too much, but Nabry was beating it and it was finding it. And you're like, woof, I think if they get this one an inch right, he's past that line and he's hitting the trailing ball or the cutback right across. Um, so I don't even think, like you, you hit on it, they used it enough because both teams at, at moments of the game were very vulnerable on the outside. At the start, Alfonso Davis was vulnerable where they could have exposed a little bit more. And even the PSG outside backs were vulnerable because like, they both like to play out of the back. When you play out of the back, your outside backs push up. And if Thiago, even as he was doing so great, the thing was Thiago was doing it exceptional, is why go away from it until you get that goal? But... The, their goal came from the outside whip in in the second half and Coleman uh, tucks it in. And I think they were about to get one two minutes in right after that. And another one, almost three minutes in, but uh, you know, PSG was throwing everything in there. Um, but no, I mean, it was, it was fantastic in that, but my take is now let's try to with watching this game. Okay. And I think when every coach watches it and even players watch it, they want to take it to their own environment. They want to take what they see to their own environment. If you're a player, you're like, okay, I play the right wing. I play the left wing. I play the center mid. Um, I play the forward. Um, I watch what I did. I see how they're playing at the highest. That's the highest of the highest. And I want to play like that. I want to spray balls if I'm the sixth like that. If you're a coach, oof, you're like, that was beautiful. 
now if I'm at the U12, how do I implement that? If I'm at the college level, how do I implement that? Uh, how do I, I want to play like that. This is the highest I'm coaching at. What do I do to create that within my training? Because we're seeing the final product, obviously. And I want to kind of educate our coaches that there's a version you can create in your environment. But some maybe that are just seeing the final product on a Sunday don't know the work that it goes behind the scenes. So I want to kind of start the dialogue and what, what we would do to set up, um, you know, a Bayern setup or uh, a PSG tactical setup in prepping for a game like that. Ooh, that's a, that's a lot there. Um, I think first and foremost, um, you know, everything is apples to apples and oranges to oranges. You know, I, I, I don't, I disagree with people saying that, oh, you can't play like that because you don't have these players or you, and, and you made a great point earlier about Barcelona and La Masia, right? Um, you can play any way you want to, if you are principled and you stick to it and everybody is along the same mentality. Uh, I think if you're in a club environment that only trains twice a week, obviously it becomes more difficult. But let's just say you have the ability to train three, four times a week. Um, the first thing is, is creating a game model. And then you have to create the principles a play based on that game model. Um, you know, so if it's building out of the back is one of your principles of play in your game model is to build out of the back. Well, now how do I build out of the back? What am I looking for in these moments for building out of the back? And now the curriculum is, is geared towards these principles. Now what a U12 player might be given is not gonna be the same as maybe a U16 player. But the whole idea is as we start to progress up this ladder, we're adding a little more complexity or a little bit more pressure to that, to that process. Um, so again, I think uh, you know, there's a lot of good youth coaches that understand that and you see some teams that play a certain style and there's teams that don't play any style and there's no commitment to a, a game model. Um, same in the college game. I think, you know, uh, there are some teams that clearly um, play, play a certain style um, that is more proactive, that's more technical uh, versus teams who might be a little more reactive and you know, defensive. And their argument would be, well, we only have kids for three months. Um, you know, uh, some teams have better players and my team doesn't. So I have to, I can't play this way. Um, you know, again, at some point, is that true? I don't know. Uh, if, if I was a coach, uh, I would coach obviously to try to win because I know my game, my, my job would depend on it, but I would believe that winning can be done in a certain way. 
But going back to the PSG and Bayern game is, if I come up against a team that is superior, would I be willing to have a plan B to adjust to that opponent? And that's, and that's what coaching does sometimes. Sometimes you have to kind of turn your turn signal on and get into the next lane to kind of make an adjustment. Uh, that's what coaching is, right? It's, it's being able to uh, equip your players with more possibilities and solutions. So um, that, that's, that's my take on it. You know, can you, can you replicate uh, Bayern and PSG? Uh, maybe not to their clarity and to their, their like you said, their, their final product. I mean, these are high level professionals, but you certainly can play a version of them. And I believe that. No, I totally agree, Shai. Um, at any moment, if you feel like I sparked anything, uh, please uh, come in as well if it goes. What I'm going to take it in a direction is plan A, plan B, plan C. Every level is different. And I'm a firm believer if your ultimate goal is to be a coach at that level, you can be at that level. Obviously, shaking the right hands, um, meeting the right people. Um, but all, always, always, always representing your well, uh, your, yourself at the highest level. Meaning if you are a U12 coach, you don't just look like a U12 coach. You look like a professional coaching at a U12 coach. And I think at every level, there is that representation. You're like, dude, this guy's, <laughs> he, he's not just a coach that's coaching here. It looks like it's something special. And there's a test. I, I would even say um, if anyone wants to, as directors or anything to do, if someone comes into uh, interview for your, uh, as a coach in your club or in your staff, it's like you tell them to coach, no cones, no soccer ball. These are your players. And you throw them in the environment that's so unpredictable. How can they coach a topic based on that? You know, and those are the situations of uh, club world, college world. Let's just talk about club world is you show up, your plan B, your plan C might be like Cindy or Harry don't show up to the game without letting you know. That might be your plan B, plan C. Like that was your main players and your number 10 that you had here. If he got hurt, you would, but they don't even show up. So now on your roster that you're supposed to have, let's say 14, this is, we're talking about 11 v 11, you have 12, you have one sub. You know, obviously the sub rotations at the youth level in America is different. Um, with one sub, how do you manage now? What's the game plan? So on the fly, now you gotta improvise. Now you gotta create that. Where it might not be the PSG setup where everybody's there, now you're just, dissecting that but your your testament of a coach is becoming of sometimes the chaos you got to deal with how do you make it look when the whoever's a parent of let's say the players that are showing up on time they don't see like nothing is wrong that's the art of a coach that's plan b that's plan c you know that's plan d because you know in the back what a disaster this is you're like, what am I doing coaching at this level? In your head, you're like, this is unprofessional. This is, not, this is why I'm not going to be at this level long term. But the parents were like, coach, that was, 
amazing. That was a, in your head you're like good job that's amazing to you but you because of you of what environment and thing you created so i think those are the sometimes the plan b plan c's you got to go at the youth level not college game college game is what's your environment and i think before going in like you talked about shy the game model is you got to periodize you know your season it's august through uh november you're going to get two games a week you know and that's for the football purists, it's a hard game to coach. It's a hard game to coach. It's a hard program to be a part of, the NCAA at the Division One level, because there is no rotation. It's hockey rotations. So that, to, to us, goes away with what we just saw this past Sunday. That has nothing to do with the tactical breakdown of the Sunday because the college, it's the complete opposite. So now you're going as a coach in that environment. All right, I know the rules. This is the rules of the game. How can I make this? What, what kind of players do I have to recruit? Maybe that's my plan A. My player recruitment, my player personality. My game model is plan A. My plan B is what's my periodization preseason because we don't get like two months like PSG and Bayern do. We get our one week. How do I periodize throughout the season? Because my main priority, if I got the players I need, is to have them all so I don't hurt them all. Um, sometimes we think if we run them for our own ego, we feel better. We know a lot of coaches out there that kind of do it, but we got to plan with that. And then obviously what's, what gets the results. And I think, especially at the division one, the thing that's very resembling at division one level NCAA to the Bayern and PSG, you don't get the result. You, and if you're at the highest one, highest program, I mean, you might be there only a year. You might be there only two years. So it, it is result-driven. So those are the things I think coaches out there should kind of create their plans to, depending on environments they're at. And based on that, if they become successful, I think opportunities will come, like rubbing the right shoulders with people, to now going into the PSG. But even if we talk about Champions League, Shai, coaching USL here, Coaching MLS is still different. Um, and, I, and I would even want you to kind of, uh, if you can, quickly touch base on an experience of, of, of yourself is the USL changed today than when you even coached it. And I think those are the moments um, that it's unique uh, where if you're like, man, if we had the team schedule we did, and scheduling, it's different because that was a chaos of plan A, plan B. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my take on, on how people can take it to your, to their levels. Uh, And I, I know I try to open it up the door for you for the USL because um, some people don't understand how the USL has grown. I think you came in it at the the new version of the USL in its infancy stage. And and it was a difficult thing of creating that plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah, well, um, we like to think that we had plan A, plan B, and plan C. Um, so just to kind of circle back around, uh, you know, I coached uh, uh, with Charlie Namo at uh, the Los Angeles Blues uh, in the very first year of the USL Pro, which is now the USL Championship. We were the only team 
uh, on the West Coast. So there was, there was no West, uh, Western Conference. We were the only team. And so uh, our, our schedule basically in, uh, involved coast-to-coast uh, -coast travel and multiple game dates. So I remember we played, one time we played uh, six games in maybe, I'm, I, I wanna say 14 days, maybe, maybe less, um, fly in, to uh, Richmond, play a game. Uh, actually, it may have actually been like this. Fly into the East Coast in Florida, take a flight to Puerto Rico, play the Puerto Rico Islanders, take a puddle jumper to Antigua, play Antigua, come back, play Carolina. So. You, you can see that, you know, at some point, uh, even your, your financial budget, if you don't have the ability to travel with more than, say, 20-something players, uh, you know, eventually that's going to take its toll. So, yeah, that changes, that changes everything. And then those are obviously the clear differences between all the levels of play, uh, you know. Um, so you do the best you can. And so what is our plan A, our plan B is kind of going back to what you were talking about periodization. It's, it's, it's really about, okay, managing minutes. Um, you know, whether people like it or not, we're on the road, we might need to take a more defensive shape uh, in, in the first two thirds of a game and then try to nick a point um, in the latter part of the game, you know, and it's, it's very pragmatic. Uh, but, you know, at that level, that's what you have to do. And proudly, we made the playoffs uh, every year uh, that we were there under this circumstance. Now, uh, we're glad to see the, the current versions of who the LA Blues evolved into uh, doing quite well. So we're, we're very happy to see both the team and the league professionalized to even a higher level. Uh, we always felt that once there was conferences, uh, that allowed reasonable travel that the, just the image of the league would be would be better and USL always ha had that in mind um, but circling back to you know uh, coaching and what the reflection it has versus watching let's say a Champions League final um, you know you have to be careful also not trying to overcomplicate things so you watch PSG and Bayern and you see the intricate movements that we talked about of maybe, okay, let's bring Nabry and Komen, tuck them in central. And now we're going to swing Kimmich high. And now Davies goes, or you invert your fullbacks. You know, these are all the fancy tactical schematics and terms that coaches like to use to kind of, Hey, look what I'm doing where, you know, maybe at the youth level, that's, that's not needed within the game model to create your style, right? Um, if you can get there, that's great. But I think we have a tendency of, of trying to emulate too much, right? Uh, and I think that's the cautionary tale is don't overcomplicate things either. Understand where you're at, the environment you're in, and 
I, I go back to the, the, the statement I made. Create a version of PSG. Create a version of Bayern. It's not going to be exactly the same. But if that's who you want to kind of emulate, it's okay. Just make sure that it's reasonable to the level you're at. Uh, you know, don't instill demands on players that are unrealistic. Um, because at the end of the day, you still need kids to enjoy the game for what the game is, right? And that's play and enjoy it. And sometimes I think we over influence the game because we're trying to show what we know as coaches. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a coach that told, that said this, at, I mean, we, we make fun of him because at our pep talks, he would only say this phrase and he wouldn't say anything else. Now, when I look back at it, I loved the phrase because it complemented what he was saying because he didn't, he didn't say anything else. He would say, simplicity is genius. And he, he basically said he got it from John Terry that used to say it at, at, at a camp and our academy that he was at. And he wouldn't say anything else, but it was a testament to what he was saying. Simplicity is genius. Keeping it simple. And, and I think you know this too, is playing a simple game is actually difficult. And sometimes to be able to keep things simple is because the individual that's keeping that environment simple really knows the game inside out. Um, if you're a player keeping it simple, you know the game inside out. And then technically, you have the tools to keep the game simple and look, make it look easy. And I think the greater you are as a coach, you make the job of coaching look easy, even though coaching is way more difficult than being a player because you're a leader managing that. But, you know, when you watch a game like a PSG, like a Bayern Munich Champions League final, you just love the direction that our game is heading to. You know, we got 2026 World Cup coming in the, in the U.S., you know, and you're watching the growth of this, the, the U.S. players, but overall that final of Champions League just shows the evolution of our game and the coaching that is going on. So I, I purely enjoyed this conversation as always with you, Shai. I think these conversations for, with us that we're just talking about the game, trying to break it down to our best of ability and giving, giving the audience out there something to think about. And I think that's the main thing. I think if we're an audience, we're not, it, if it gave you some sort of an idea of something to take back into your environment, your environment a better place to make our game better that's huge and i think that's huge for anyone doing podcasts or books or anything it's just in the purity making our game better so you know it's been a pleasure shy and like i said i'll give uh the rest of it to you to kind of take us out i would say this sean uh that your, your, your final statement is spot on. First of all, here at S2Effect, you know, our goal isn't to kind of flex our muscles or to, to show off or to, we feel here that there's just a general need to kind of provoke thought. And the bottom line is to, we just wanna make our game a better, better place, right? We wanna create a better environment. 
We want to provoke coaches. We want to provoke administrators. We want to provoke players to think about this game and how they can go back to their environment and make it uh, not only more enjoyable, but better. Um, this country deserves an opportunity to be at the, at the top in this game. I think we have the players, uh, we have the resources, we have the access to all the games in the world. Uh, so we're just trying to do our little small part in uh, being a part of that, uh, that evolution and development. So as always, it's great talking to you. You bring great insight. Um, you know, uh, I enjoy this, uh, this process and uh, I look forward to the, to the next one. That sounds great. All right. Peace out. All right, All right my man. I will see you soon.